Hey everybody, it's Franklin Taggart, and I just wanted to put a little brief announcement here at the beginning of this podcast episode. Um, my my modem and router have been constantly on uh, for over two years now, and have been streaming and doing Zoom calls to the point where it actually burned out. And in the middle of this interview with Leandra Foster, that's when it decided to go. So there, we had some technical difficulties. I just want you to be aware of it before you start, that there's nothing wrong with your image or your audio. I've tried to edit it out as best as I can. However, there's still uh, there's still a little bit of an indication that we were running into some trouble. So I wanted you to be aware of that beforehand. I hope you enjoy this interview with Leandra Foster. She's one of my favorites, and I think you're going to enjoy her a lot. Thanks for being here. This is Your Own Best Company, a podcast for people who love to work alone. Hello, everybody. I am Franklin Taggart, and this is Your Own Best Company, a podcast for people who love to work alone. And I am one of you. And my guest today is a friend of mine um, I've known for a couple of years now, Leandra Foster is a coach and consultant um, with a, a company called Elon Life. And um, I'm, I'm putting the spelling on the screen for those of you who are watching this as a video. But for those of you who are listening, here's the spelling. E-L-A-N-L-Y-F-E. And if you wanted more information uh, about Leandra as we're speaking, elonlife.com is the place to be. Um, Leandra helps women who run their own coaching and alternative wellness businesses turn sales into personal wealth with a focus on pricing and profitability. Almost 20 years of experience as a former pension actuary gives her all kinds of information from the inside and the outside about how to do things. She's also been a hedge fund operations manager and a university finance instructor. She is married to a game warden and is a mother of two. Um, fairly young kids, if I remember correctly. Isn't that right, Leandra? Yes, although they are getting older. <laughs> oh my gosh, they, they do that, don't they? They do. And her surprising information is that she was a dairy cow judge in high school. She has fought in the Chicago Golden Gloves tournament, is a ballroom dancer, and a half marathoner. I've so, done all those things. <laughs> <laughs> um, she's also been known to, to lead uh, horseback riding retreats uh, for business women to get away from it all and uh, you know work on their work on their mindset and uh, their frame of mind more than anything else. And uh, she's just an extraordinarily creative person for an actuary. Um, <laughs> I should add, that's probably why I'm not an actuary anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you just, you, you got tired of the box, didn't you? I did. I did. Yes. Well, the thing that, uh, the thing that you were talking about that, that led me to say, I think you would be a perfect guest to have on the podcast is you were telling me about a talk that you give called the wealthy woman talk. Can you tell me a little bit about where that talk theme came from? And um, I'm going to just let you dive right into it because I think that I, I need to shut up and let you do what you do best, which is to educate women about money. Yeah. 
Um, so the talk is called Wealthy Women Don't Pinch Pennies. And um, it came about because, you know, as you've said, I was a dairy judge in high school. I fought in the Chicago Golden Globes, ballroom dancing. Like my interests are all, all over the place. So I can give a talk, but it's like, oh, how do I narrow down all the things that I want to talk about? And um, I worked with one of my business besties, um, speaking coach, Amanda Fuel, to really hone in on my message. And oh my gosh, I think I got as much coaching, like money coaching back from her, from her just reflecting back to me what I was saying to her. And the talk is just, it's just fabulous. Like, I couldn't be happier with it. So it's really the three main secrets of how wealthy women don't pinch pennies and how they turn sales from their business into personal wealth. Um, this all got started because I knew that I wanted to do some sort of financial coaching, but I didn't, I didn't want to be like a traditional certified financial planner and just do it the traditional route. I've, I've been in that industry and it ignores our relationship with money. Like it doesn't even like we deal with it when our clients call because they're freaking out because the stock market's crashing. But other than that, like that's somebody else's problem. Go find a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> and I, when I had my own moment of recognizing like, Hey, you've been in the wealth industry this whole time. And you're actually not comfortable with the idea of being wealthy that was when I realized this can't be an either or we can't just go to a therapist or just talk about finances from an investing and practical standpoint. Um, no. So that's really, really what the wealthy woman talk does is it shares those three secrets. So can I share them with you? Absolutely. <laughs> but before you go there, can you, I remember a presentation that you were working on and it's probably been over a year ago now. Uh, for 1 million cups. And in that presentation, you were talking about that you realized that you'd reached the million million dollar mark personally. But here you were, you were still, you know, driving a, a car with 200,000 miles on it and, and drinking really cheap beer and doing, yeah. you know, you were still... <laughs> You were still pinching the pennies, and so I want to I want to drive home that this isn't just a this isn't just a, a platitude story. This is a real life story, right? That's true. That's true. So yeah, last year uh, in March, so a year ago, my husband and I, um, it's called a wealth dashboard. That's what we call it. We fill out like the values of all of our accounts, our investments, our debts. And then it says what your net worth was. And we didn't, we'd never done this before, but um, when I realized that I didn't have this good relationship with money, I got a financial coach. I wanted to look at money differently. And obviously I had been investing along the way, but when we first filled out our wealth dashboard, we were surprised to find that we were almost millionaires already. Yeah. Cause that was the thing where like, well, it sure doesn't feel like it. <laughs> and uh, that car you're talking about now has 217,000 miles on it. <laughs> but I think I think what you're talking about is exactly the, the reframe, the, the mental shift of realizing, you know what, we're not actually pinching pennies because we live in Fort Collins, Colorado. This is what we were talking about with that whole mindset shift. 
of like, <sighs> seems like we're just getting by. But when we really looked at it, it was like, no, we're actually spending money on what's important to us. So when we bought a house, we wanted land. We wanted to be able to have animals. We wanted to be able to kick our kids out without worrying about whether they were in or out. And that costs more. So we were actually consciously choosing our spending, but we just hadn't really thought of it that way. And so, um, you know, that's, that's one of the things that I realized of being wealthy is like, how many wealthy people do we know or who we think are wealthy? And they still have that, oh, I don't have enough money or um, you can tell that they're afraid of losing it all. And so that's, again, like I could teach the analytical part of money, but if we don't look at this other piece and, you know, I, one of my clients just recently said, she's like, oh, you tried this on yourself. I was like, of course, like <laughs> I'm the guinea pig here and I learn and then I teach it to you. <laughs> there you go. But then you also have people like Warren Buffett, who's like one of the world's richest people, multi, multi-billionaire, still lives in the same little ranch house that he bought in 1952. And he always buys used cars and he always drives them until they fall apart. You know, it's like there's there's an interesting juxtaposition there. It's like living like you're wealthy. And then there are other people that look at it as and I've heard interviews with him where he just says, well, it's just a big game. <laughs> it is it is and actually i think if you can look at it as a game i think you're better off because part of me is like okay if it is a game and we've been living small this whole time do i want to keep living small or do we want to try the other side and see what it feels like to just be like i'm just gonna go buy a new car i'm just gonna go do this and so i think before you do that, of course, you need to have a solid financial foundation. But that's one of the big things is getting clear on what's important to you and what's important to the Joneses. Yeah. Right. So exactly. it not pinching pennies doesn't mean that you're just spending money willy nilly. It means that you're really clear on what you don't want to spend money on and what you do want to spend money on. And it also means that you're not living like a miser. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So talk to us a little bit about wealthy women don't pinch pennies. Yeah. So that's actually one of the secrets is that wealthy women have a financial education. And that's because without a financial education, it's really hard to build wealth. So the example that I usually give of this is one of my clients um, is a doctor. She's actually got two doctors doctorate degree. So she's a naturopathic doctor and a chiropractor and she grew up in poverty. So, you know, she comes with the story of, Oh, I'm bad at money. I don't know this, but as she's talking to me, I start realizing you're not bad at money at all. You're actually really good at money. You just happen to be bad at money or not bad. You happen to be good at money in a financial system that doesn't build wealth. So Growing up as the child child of a single mom, she knew how to get on food stamps. She knew how to get financial aid for housing. She knew how to get Medicare. And honestly, I have no idea how to do any of that. Thankfully, that just wasn't the lifestyle that I grew up in. So she has resources and she knows how to navigate a financial system. It just wasn't the financial system of 
high yield savings accounts, brokerage accounts, retirement accounts, IRAs. So I said, you're good at money. You just have to learn a new system. And so that's part of the financial education. And that's what I teach in Double Your Profits in 30 Days is the pieces that you need to be financially successful. So you have to have a personal spending plan so that you're not pinching pennies. You know what's important to you and what's not important to you, what's the Joneses. And that plan does include things for luxuries, adventures, trips, whatever is important to you. You also have to have a business spending plan. So it's not enough just to have a personal spending plan. The problem with a lot of businesses, and, and this is actually what I say that I do, is we know that new business owners have a hard time paying themselves. What we didn't know, or maybe came a little clearer in COVID, was even established businesses, business owners can't pay themselves. So six-figure business owners are still paying themselves sometimes less than they could make at minimum wage job that didn't require any education, right? Um, and so what do you what do you think is behind that most of the time? the secrets to being a wealthy woman. So it is that they don't have a financial education. And then there's there's the mindset, like the stories, the money stories. So just as an example, one of my other clients who does have a six-figure business, when we talked about it, she's like, I feel guilty paying myself more than my assistant. And I was like, what? <laughs> You're a doctor. You've taken all the risk of the business. You work full-time. Like she's not a doctor, it's not her business and she works part-time, why on earth would you think that you can't pay yourself as much? And she's like, well, I just don't want her getting jealous and saying that, you know, like you, well, you're just keeping all the money for yourself. And I thought, and I said, do you think she'd really say that? She's like, no, she would never say that. <laughs> but <laughs> it's the stories that we tell ourselves, right? Yeah. So yeah. getting getting your personal spending plan and your business spending plans together are, are an important step. Um, if you've never done a spending plan, I'm, I know that your program helps people do that, but can you give people kind of a bird's eye view of what that is and what it looks like? Here's a little secret. Spending plans, just a euphemism for budget. <laughs> Doggone it. <laughs> I was hoping you wouldn't say the B word. I know. Because when you say the B word, most people are like, oh, you're going to tell me how I have to spend. You're going to tell me not to have my lattes. You're going to tell me not to go out to eat. And that's the whole thing about a spending plan is like, it's what's important to you. I want to go on vacations more than I want coffee every day. You might be like, mm -mm, not leaving my house other than get my coffee, I'm going to get my coffee, I'm going to come home. So it's just what's important to you. And that's why I don't like to use the word budget because it's just what you plan on spending your money on because isn't that why we make money in the first place is to spend it. Yeah, I would, I kind of hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I know unless, that's what I do. Warren, I was going to say, unless you're Warren Buffett. <laughs> yeah. But I think... Um, I think it's interesting that um, that we have a negative perception of budgeting um, when in fact it can be an extraordinarily fun and and I don't know 
enjoyable thing because you can actually feel empowered through your budget rather than limited. This might need to be edited out. You can decide after the fact. Yeah. But um, one of my clients actually recently had a self-proclaimed spreadsheet gasm. <laughs> that doesn't need to be edited out. <laughs> All right. You might notice that uh, uh, this particular podcast had a wardrobe change. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that happened was that in the middle of our uh, podcast last last week when we were recording it, um, we had a couple of technical difficulties. The, the cable signal got dropped and it turned out to be something that actually needed an intervention from the cable company. So we are back now and we were just talking about spreadsheet gasms. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's hard to pick up when you leave off there, but yes. So let's set that back up, Leandra. The, the thing that you had been talking about in that moment was that uh, you, you had a person who had such a realization that she had just had a spreadsheet gasm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And how did that come about? I, I really am trying to think about where we left off, but I think what we were talking about was the naughty B word. Yes. being budget and and how I don't like to use that word, word because it brings so much shutting down energy and constriction. And so, you know, I call it a spending plan. And what I've found is that my clients really do find freedom in the structure. Yeah. And that that was essentially what led to the spreadsheet gasm was that as I was explaining to her how her actual numbers were working, she realized that, that she wasn't going to have to work as hard next month because she was already, she'd part of what she earned was already going towards next month. And she was like, oh, I'm already $2,000 ahead of my goal for next month. Like that, I can just breathe a sigh of relief. And that was just the one piece of it but i've had other clients have the same thing of like that recognition of like this is so easy this is so much easier than what i've been doing yeah. that they come to love the spending plan and it makes their decision making so much easier so they're not spinning their wheels or you know just transferring money back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and spending so much mental energy on how to make it work because it's already done it's a system it's all laid out very good we had also started to talk about your your presentation on wealthy women don't pinch pennies yes and i think the spending plan was was step one in that if i re, if i recall correctly it was one piece of it so the first piece is that they that they have a financial education. So yeah. spending plans are one piece of it, but you have to have personal and business spending plans. You have to have a price for your services that cover all of those expenses and paid time off. I think that's the piece that a lot of self-employed people forget about is they go into business to have time freedom and money freedom. And then they forget to charge for the time freedom that they want. So having a price that covers all of their expenses, their taxes, yeah. and time off is really important. Talk um, about what that looks like. Um, you know, we're not trained to think that way. 
So if I'm if I'm planning paid time off, um, you know, in a, in an employment situation, that's kind of a normal perk, right? Mm -hmm. You get two weeks of vacation and you don't miss a paycheck during those two weeks. Right. So how do you set that up so that it works for a self-employed person? So that's one of the systems. And one of the things that I love about this is when I make a financial mistake, it's not just lost. I get to share my financial mistake with my clients and prevent them from making the same mistake. Okay. So I had a perfect storm month. Actually, March was a really big month for me last year um, because that was when we became a millionaire, millionaires. And that's also when I realized my critical mistake in my business where I had um, payment plans, people paying me on a payment plan. And I just went ahead and paid myself all that, but I didn't book them at the same rate that I was paying myself. So here, my payment plan ended here and they were still on my calendar for coaching. And in March, all of a sudden I had a full calendar of clients and no money. <laughs> so it's sort of the same concept um, with the paid time off is paying yourself a salary. Like you figure out how much you can pay yourself every single month. And then you kind of have an account over here that just holds like if you made more or if you made less. And so it smooths it out so that you're kind of like an employed person that you can make a personal spending plan because you know how much you're going to get paid. And the beautiful thing about having your own business is one of my clients is considering the European 13th month. So they have the idea that when you're on vacation or on holiday yeah. that you're spending more money while you're gone and therefore you need to be paid more and so not only will she get her normal paycheck she'll give herself an extra paycheck when she's on vacation so that they can really enjoy vacation so building in an extra month salary just for the vacation yeah that's a cool idea yeah it's, it's your business you can do that <laughs> I like that. Yeah. So where do we go from there? So all of those pieces, having a profit plan so that your business has a profit, shows yeah. a profit, not just on paper, but you actually see the money in the account and go, huh, there's my profit. Having a profit plan, all of those pieces fall into the financial education piece. Okay. But what I found in doing this and kind of what got me into my own business was if that's the financial education piece, that's all well and good. But if you don't have a healthy relationship with money, it's really hard to implement these steps. Like I could teach you all day long. You could learn all the systems. You could have the cool spreadsheet. But until you kind of do and, you know, having a healthy relationship with money is often having a healthy relationship with yourself. But until you realize I deserve to have this money it'll fall flat. Like I can teach you and I've seen it over and over. Like people just can't implement it. What does that show up like when you see it happen? <clears throat> um, overspending. So this, my very first awareness of this happened when I was in my early twenties and I helped a coworker create her spending plan because we were actuaries. Actuaries make a lot of money. 
She was right out of college. She should have been able to pay off all of her debt. And she was, she said something about having seven to $10,000 in credit card debt. And I said, but as an actuary, you know all about compound interest. Like, why are you paying interest on this credit card debt? You should be able to pay it off. And she said, I don't know. So I taught her and I helped her make a spending plan. And once she saw how long it was going to take her, because I, I made a conservative plan for her, she's like, oh, no, that's awful. And so she had it paid off in six months. Done. And then about six months after that, she bought a new house and she furnished the whole thing all at once. And I was kind of running the numbers in my head as she was talking about making these purchases. And I thought, she's got to be right back in credit card debt. And sure enough, like a few months later, she came to me and said, oh my gosh, I'm right back where I started. And I didn't at that time understand how that could happen. I'm like, but you learned how to do this. How, how are you in the same place? And so that's really what I see is whatever your default is, so her default was to have credit card debt. Um, if your default is robbing Peter to pay Paul or, you know, whatever your default is until you mend that relationship with money, no matter how much money you make, no matter how hard you try to get out of that cycle, you just end up in it over and over again. So you're almost like, you're a financial advisor and a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're actually helping people with some emotional issues around money. And yes. those, com those compulsive behaviors are always driven by emotion, right? Yes. So, um, so overspending is one of the symptoms that you see. What's the problem? It can be different with different people, but a lot of it, I mean, a lot of times we start with um, what your family of origin did, but oftentimes it's emotional. So the example that I give in the Wealthy Woman Talk is about income bumpers. So in writing the talk um, with Amanda, we stumbled upon this idea of income bumpers and really what it is, is like, you've got a lower limit and you've got an upper limit. And if you think of your, your income as a pinball with, you know, that you bump it up when it gets too low, but what you don't necessarily realize is that a lot of times you'll bump it down when it gets too high. And so a lot of times it's emotional. So the example that I give is one of my clients when she first came to me, I usually do a dream big session where like, okay, if you could have all the money, what would you do with it? And she's like, um, I don't know. Like, I don't, like I have an old car and so I'd probably need to replace it at some point. But I mean, I'm pretty happy with my lifestyle as it is. And I kind of looked at her and I was like, okay. If minimalism is one of your core values, this is totally fine, except for the fact that you're working with me, which leads me to believe that you want to make more money and you want to make more money for some reason. And so as we dug into this income bumpers idea, she would, I was asking her about her family of origin. She realized like, yeah, I need to be able to tell my dad that I can make enough money to take care of myself on the other hand, there was her mom who never made much money, but always spent outside of her means. And that really bothered my client. 
and she um, would she would change her behavior to try to change her mom's behavior. So the example that she gave me after identifying this and catching herself in action is that her mom had gotten a stitch fix box with clothes way outside of her price range. And my client was there when, when the box showed up. And so they were going through it and she had, there was a blouse in there that she loved, but she caught herself. She said, I didn't change my behavior. I just noticed it. And so she kept saying, oh, mom, yeah, I mean, it's cute, but it's not that nice. Like, it's not really that cute of a blouse. Like, yeah, yes, it's cute, but it's not that cute. Could be better. Exactly, exactly. She's like, and I actually loved the blouse. Like, I really loved the blouse. But she was trying to get her mom to send all the clothes back because her mom couldn't afford them. And so her mom finally said, okay, you're right. Maybe I'll just keep these couple of things and send everything back. And she said, and then a week later, I saw my mom wearing the $700 leather jacket that she could no way afford. And I realized it didn't matter what I said or did. I wasn't going to change her behavior. And so that had been her upper limit because if she made too much money, then she would spend that money. And then it would become a competition with her mom rather than being a mother-daughter relationship. And so she would keep her income in check. And so once we had, once we identified the upper limit and she identified that it didn't matter how much money she made or spent or didn't spend, her mom was still going to spend outside of her means. And so she should just enjoy her life. It opened up doors for her that she's like, okay, now I need to kind of try that dream big thing again, which is still kind of uncomfortable for me, but I'm ready to think about it again. Was she ever able to get comfortable with it? She's one of my newer clients, so we're still okay, working, on, working it. on it. All right. Yeah, very good. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. And I think that that's something that, that a lot of us don't take into account. We think that it's just, you know, a numbers game where you get out the spreadsheet and you work out the numbers, but you know, addressing those emotional issues around money, I think is, is just as important. You, you mentioned family of origin. What are some other, what are some other emotional patterns that you might see related to money? Self-worth. Oh yeah. Self-worth is a big one. Especially around pricing. Around, yeah, around pricing. Like, am I even providing enough value to charge this much? Um, with pricing, getting into the other person's pocketbook and saying, oh, I just, I don't think they can afford it. And they're usually, your people who aren't pricing enough are usually pricing on what they think they could afford and yeah. not what their clients can actually afford. That's what I always talk about with artists. It's mm -hmm. like, they always, they always want to price their art at what they can afford, but they're poor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. It's like the people who buy art tend to be able to afford it. Exactly. You know. Exactly. And then when they afford it at a higher price, then it makes the next art appreciate in value. So that keeps the artist from being poor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's, it's a beautiful upward spiral. I love upward spirals, especially when it comes to money. Yes. So the third secret actually ties into what you're asking about. And it, the third secret is that, so the first one is the financial education. The second one is having a healthy relationship with money. And the third one is kind of the intersection of these two. And it's that wealthy women allow themselves to be wealthy. 
Wow. Okay. We need to go there. What yes. does that look like? Yeah. So your art example was a perfect lead in for it is I think that a lot of helpers and healers think that they shouldn't charge for helping other people. They shouldn't get paid well for helping other people. And so without realizing it, they've kind of taken about poverty, which same thing for artists, right? Like oh, yeah. the starving artist uh, ideal. So, you know, it's not really fun to starve. <laughs> no, it's really not. And it doesn't make your art any better, actually. Right. Yeah. Right. It's just all drawings of food. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> That's why there's so many still lifes of fruit. Still bath. life of pear. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have to remember that one. That's a good one. Um, so... The idea is you could have a financial education. You could be proactively working on your relationship with money. But if you don't actually allow yourself to be wealthy, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I, I think that's kind of what I was talking about in my, you know, in my mental reframe is I wasn't allowing myself to be wealthy. Um, and it's still something that I catch myself in. And, and I think that's another thing to realize is like, I don't know if it'll ever go away. Like, I think we will always catch ourselves in our old habits. The difference is we catch ourselves in it. Anyway. Where, where does your resistance to wealth come from? My guess is just probably from where I grew up in the area. So I grew up in a rural um, Eastern Colorado and rural Northwest Kansas. And so they're like, you can't tell the millionaire farmers apart from the ones who are barely making it. They all look the same. You know, they're wearing their tattered car hearts and their worn out boots. And so I think that that was part of it is, you know, not, not wanting to look better than anybody else. So it's, you know, part, part of not, you know, not standing out in the culture around you. Right. 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 Personally though, Talk a little bit about, you know, where your own, where your own personal resistance to wealth came from. Oh gosh, I'm always finding new ones. Um, that not having more than others has been a big thing for me. Um, the opulent wealth, like, and this actually ties into the, the idea of allowing yourself to be wealthy is this idea of like, it's better for me to stand in the solidarity of the struggle. Like you're struggling. I'm struggling. See, I'm not any better than you. I'm struggling with you. I understand your pain. And I think that that's been a big part of it for me is, um, you just want to fit in. Like you don't, you don't want other people to think that you think that you're better than them. And so, you know, so it's kind of a belonging need then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. In your own life, how did you come to terms with that resistance and how did you transform it into allowing? I think it's a work in progress for me. Like I had, the reason I got into the business that I got into is I know finances and, you know, it was that recognition of like, you've always been in 
well-paying, wealthy industries, and yet your income <laughs> has done this. And that's what forced me to look at it. And that's what forced me to realize, hey, you don't have a good relationship with money. And then I worked on it and I've worked on it and I've worked on it and it still wasn't changing. And that's when I realized there's this third piece. Like I can have the financial education. I can work on my relationship with money. But if I don't actually allow myself to be wealthy, it doesn't matter how much of these two things I do, it's never going to happen. And so, I mean, quite frankly, it's something I'm still working on. Now, we opened up this this conversation talking about the, the realization that you had a couple of years ago where you just said, oh, you know, the numbers show that we're actually millionaires now. We've crossed the seven figure mark. And yet we're still living as if. And so what has changed since then? So in the allowing, so I said this vow of poverty, then Amanda, she's always good at the new ideas. She's like, well, what about the flip of that? Like, what if you divorced yourself from the vow of poverty and you took instead a vow of wealth? And I think that's essentially what has happened. So my goals have changed and like I purposely, so <laughs> my clients, my clients, I think might've wanted to hang me from a tree in December, in December, I had them graph their last four years of business revenue and what they wanted their five-year goal to be. And I was like, okay, map in between how you're going to get there. And then I caught myself and I thought, I'm playing small. And I thought, what if I made my five-year goal this year's goal? And that's really triggering. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> what but if I made this of... year's goal my monthly goal, right? Yeah, exactly. That'll probably be the next game once I meet this one. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that... Honestly, that's a lot of what I do is like, I try to find my trigger points and I try to find my clients trigger points because that's how you clear them. So I, I had them play that game and it did, it made a lot of them. No, no. And the thing is you have to think differently yeah. to get to the next level. And so how have I gone from, well, we're merely millionaires, but we don't feel like it. Our cash flow hasn't changed per se in the last year, but the way I think has changed. And the way that I think is going to change my cash flow. Because now that I'm thinking about this five year goal as this year's goal, it's who do I have to be to meet that goal? And it brings up a lot of beliefs that like, oh, that's too much, or what will people think, or, you know, all the crap. And one of them, you'll like this because you were asking me earlier, one of them that I finally got to the root was if, if I don't need to make money, what will my purpose be? Yeah. And and I think that triggers a lot of people who are near retirement age. Like, I don't like the word retire. You know, I hear them saying that and that kind of got me thinking. I'm like, yeah, because if you don't have to make money, you don't have to go to your job. 
what gets you out of bed in, in the morning? Yeah, who are you? I mean, sure, going to the beach and going on vacations is fun for a while. And then it's kind of like, okay. But now it's kind of boring. Like, if any of you are in, if any of you are in that situation right now, I want you to call me because you, you need a coach right now that's going to talk you into your retirement career, which is a creative career. And I'm your guy. I want to help you. Yes. <laughs> because you have a lot of money. Let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. One of, the, one of the things I love, Leandra, as you were describing that exercise of, you know, making, making your long-term goals, your short-term goals, it, it, it helps you to, it helps you to see just how arbitrary our beliefs around money are. It's like, there is no, there's no law set in stone anywhere about any of this. And it's just like that little, that little mechanism that you've got inside of your solar plexus that shuts down like this, when you think about making more than a certain amount of money. That's completely arbitrary. There's no reality to that outside of your own thinking about it, right? So let's talk about where do people go from here with you? Well, so the, the thing that I saw, so when I was starting my business, you know, I kind of knew what I wanted to do, but I didn't have my way of doing it. And I'm thankful to all of my clients who trusted me from the beginning, even though I was like, we'll figure this out as we go. <laughs> but what I, interestingly enough, I, I'm just, I love getting to that deeper piece. And so I thought I'm not doing finance. I'm not, I'm done with finance. That's an old life. And so I just did coaching, but I saw that that helped, but then there were pieces where I'm like, but they don't have the education. Like they can't do anything with this newfound belief because they don't know what to do with it. <clears throat> and then, so I created this class because I heard someone saying, you know, my coach says that I need to be charging five times what I am now, but that doesn't feel good because it's not affordable to my clients. And I thought, I should be able to help you with this. And that's kind of how I came up with my course, Double Your Profits in 30 Days. But I also saw that from the people who took that, it was great while it lasted and it was educational. But that's kind of where it stopped. And so I had this, these two silos of my business and these people were getting some good coaching, but they couldn't implement it because they didn't know what to do. And these people knew what to do, but they couldn't actually implement it because they had all this junk keeping them apart. And so I, I married the two and, and implemented because as we're saying, like these are lifelong habits. So thinking that we can just clear them in 30 days doesn't really work. And so that's how Practical Magical Millionaire was born. Yeah. And it's, it's the longer term program. So it starts with double your profits in 30 days. And then we implement it over the next six months, just one little step at a time in community. And there's that accountability and other people are celebrating your financial wins where it's not, you know, the taboo, like we don't talk about money. Like, can I, 
can I tell people that I just had a best month ever in my business? No, because then you're overcharging for your business. You shouldn't be charging so much, right? So it's a community that's celebrating like, yes, yes, we are creating that upward spiral. So um, that though, because it's a longer term commitment usually starts in the fall. So the first thing that I suggest is starting with double your profits in 30 days, okay. getting that education. And that, again, like I said, my my business just keeps evolving. And what I'm realizing is, you can take this course three, four times because you'll hear it differently the next time than you heard it the first time because you know more, you've seen more, you've thought about it differently. And it's that's what that's the the relationship with money, the allowing yourself to be wealthy is like coming back and seeing it again. So that's where I like people to start is to get an introduction to the education to kind of see like where are you getting hung up? What do you need? And in some cases, that's all people need. Like they've already been working on the relationship. They just need the education. So that's, um, I've got that coming up this April 19th. So and, double your profits in 30 days. Mm -hmm. is, is that, that's something that you offer like three times a year? Twice. Yep. Twice it's a year. In the okay. spring and in the fall. And then Practical Magical Millionaire, this is the longer term program. And that's something that's only offered once a year. Yep. Okay. Yep. So double your profits is the the bookends to that course of like learn it, implement it, review it, and see how you look at it differently from when you first learned it. Now we've had um, for the people who are watching this on video, we've had the the link tree link up for the entirety of this uh, conversation. But can you tell us the link tree link that people need to go to to find out more information? Yes, it's linktree slash Elon Life. So E L A N is in Nancy, L Y F is in Frank E. And we'll have that in the description as well, wherever you hear or watch this. Leandra, I'd, I'd like you to, to finish our time together by um, just what's the most encouraging thing that you can share with people about their money? and about the financial state of their business. What's the most encouraging thing that you can share with them right now? I think it's what I said earlier is nobody's bad with money. Nobody is bad with money. You are already good with money in your system. And all you need to do is decide that you want to be wealthy and you want to build wealth. You have to allow yourself to be wealthy. And then you can get there because it's just learning a new system for you to be good at. I love it. So folks, uh, link, the link tree link is uh, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E -E slash E-L-A-N-L-Y-F-E. And uh, definitely look Leandra up. And if you get a chance to hear her give the the wealthy women don't pinch pennies talk. Don't don't hesitate because I'm, I'm sure you're going to love it. Um, anything else coming up that you want people to be aware of, Leandra? Um, there is one uh, wealthy women don't pinch pennies talk coming up on April uh, 11th. And so you can find that on Eventbrite. So it's under wealthy women don't pinch pennies. Is that going to be in the Fort Collins area or is that going to be a zoomy thing or that's, yep. That's zoom. 
Awesome. So you can take it from the comfort of your own home. Well, Leandra, I appreciate more than anything else that you had the fortitude to, to hang out with me through all the technical difficulties and to come back on an, uh, another day and finish this conversation. Um, Thank you. I, I just, every time that I get to hang out with you, I appreciate you more. And I am really, really happy to hear about your success and I wish you much more of it. Thank you, Franklin. I really appreciate that. And I always love hanging out with you. And I'm excited to see your editing magic so that this disjointed conversation seems to flow fluidly. <laughs> uh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Your Own Best Company. If you enjoyed the show, would you do me a favor and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast host? If you really love it, leave me a review or share it with your circles. If you feel like your career is reaching a dead end or you're feeling a deep sense of dissatisfaction in your work right now, I help people discover their gifts and then find or create new opportunities that are the best fit for their talent, experience, and lifestyle. Email me at coaching at franklintaggart.com for more information. I also help people start, finish, and launch creative projects, and I offer an ongoing marketing mastermind for solopreneurs and freelancers. More information on these programs and services can be found at franklintaggart.com. Thanks again for spending this time with me.